The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Uh, a word as we, uh, uh, before we read Psalm 121, if you missed this last Sunday, uh, Pastor Chad had uh, explained that we are starting a new summer series. Uh, we are ascending with the sojourners in Psalms 120 through 134. That will be what we'll be preaching through over this summer. And uh, these would be psalms that they would historically sing as they ascended up to God's city, Jerusalem, singing to one another on the way. And so that's the context of our psalm and, and where we'll be this summer. So a reading from the Old Testament, Psalm 121, a song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. This is God's word, and it is true. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered this morning, may our ears hear, may our hearts be pierced, may our lives be transformed, and may we enjoy being a people kept by you. Speak, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The Kurdish people are an unkept people. They, they have no keeper. Perhaps you've never heard of this people group, and as Wisconsinites, when I say Kurd, you think cheese, of course. <laughs> but the Kurds actually are an ancient people group uh, who had their own language and religion and distinct culture. Today, they presently live in northern Iraq, northern Syria, and southeastern Turkey. In the aftermath of World War I, the Ottoman Empire it fell, and modern Turkey became a republic. But in the midst of this, the Kurds were all but forgotten. No one was at the table to defend them, no keeper, and they were left without a land. I became very interested in the history of the Kurds and their lack of a keeper as I got to know my dear friend Atip. That's right, his name was Atip. He grew up as one of eight children living in abject poverty in his small village. He would recall uh, his home being without a door that the village animals would come in at night to sleep with them in order to keep them warm and to remain warm themselves. They weren't allowed to speak their own language, to brandish their own uh, national colors, the colors that were so special to them. In time, some Kurds banded together to create a militia in order to fight the government, to, to try and bring freedom. But Atip remembers even the militia coming at uh, about 5 a.m. in the morning and demanding from their village leaders supplies so they could fight. And they did it, albeit at gunpoint, from their own people. Well, two hours later, the Turkish military would come and they would gather those same fathers into the village square and punish them in front of their families because they had aided the enemy. The Kurdish people are an unkept people and Atip lived like it. Though, uh, though they are predominantly Muslim, Atip could not make sense of why their maker, their believed maker, Allah, would not help them. Atip, even on a personal level, lived and felt unkept. Being one of eight children, 
his care that was given to him by his parents was distracted at very best. Atip had trained himself to think he didn't need help or think perhaps help comes from self and that's it. It's quite a crassly American thought, right? Help comes only from self. Friends, do you know that you need help this morning? Does help only come from self? Have you been conditioned to believe that care from others, even those who are to love you, defend you, provide for you, that their care is distracted at best? Perhaps you are bitter because the keeper we just read about in Psalm 121 is not the one you know. Like the Kurdish people or Atip, kept is the last thing that you have felt or seen or have learned to expect in this life. Psalm 121 is for you today. Psalm 121 teaches us that God is an unfailing keeper, and therefore we can live like a kept people. God is an unfailing keeper, and we can live like a kept people. In verses 1 and 2, we see God as the unfailing keeper in that he personally, it's not just business, personally undergirds all of life. Look at me with verse 1. Or at verse 1, rather. <clears throat> the psalmist looks upward to the hills. What do they represent? Are they, are they just simply hills? Well, commentators discuss several options for their meaning, it, but two related ideas seem to emerge out. The first being danger, and the second being other helpers' offers. The first of danger. Of course, we know long journeys can be very dangerous endeavors, perhaps even in our time, but even more so in their time. The natural elements of scorching sun, perhaps a lack of food and water, or difficult terrain to face. Most of us don't enjoy climbing hills. But beyond that, the hills were notorious for being good hiding places for bandits, for thieves who would come along and, and attack and steal and leave you for dead. So the question of the psalmist here of where help is to be found is a legitimate one. Who, who is going to protect me on this journey? The second idea of other helpers offers, it draws on the reality that the, that the hills, the high places, are where the pagan priests and the pagan worshipers would go to practice their faith. Priests who worship the sun may be promised protection from a sunstroke for the right amount of money. Perhaps there were sellers of good luck charms to ease the sojourner's fear. Perhaps there were witch doctors that gave an incantation that could protect you from the dangers ahead. There were even fertility cults with prostitutes that promised fruitfulness if you engaged in worship. Or perhaps those were even just welcome distractions for the road. In this scenario, in the second scenario, the psalmist is reminding himself who is his help in the face of many attractive offers from other helpers. So whether the hills are facing danger or the temptation of other helpers' offers, the question is still the same. Where does my help come from? And the answer is the same too. The covenantal and the creator God. There's a literary device actually used in verse 2 uh, that we actually still use today. Uh, the fancy word is merism or merismus. You can, you can lay that on a friend at some point. But it's where two opposite or contrasting things are named, 
in order to communicate that both those ends and everything in between is meant. If this is confusing, let me give, let me give an example. We say something like this. We search high and low. Right? We search near and far. Right? Those are two contrasting thoughts in order to communicate what? That we searched everywhere, right? That's what a merism is. And we find one in verse 2. As the Lord, uh, the Lord makes what? He makes the heaven and the earth and everything in between. So this is saying that there is nothing that is, that exists. No, uh, there's nothing that exists unless God says so. There's no galaxies out there. There's no sky above, no hills, rivers, sports, art, music, no laughter in your ears from your parents, your children, whether they're grown or infants. True help can only have its origin in the creator God, the one who sustains and upholds all that he has made, the one who made heaven and earth and all things in between. But we also must point out that the name used here is the covenantal name. It's the private, special name that God had given only to his people. It's seen there in Lord, it's Yahweh. The psalmist is crying out not just to an indefinite, unknown, yet-to-be-experienced God. No, he's crying out to the God who said to him, You are mine. I am yours. These singing sojourners are saying, My help, my help, doesn't come from those pagan priests or from the hucksters in the hills. No, my help comes from the creator God, the upholder of all things, who also, in fact, is my God. The music group, the Beatles, put out a single in 1965 called Help. The second verse of that song reads like this. And now my life has changed in oh so many ways. My independence seems to vanish in the haze. But every now and then I feel so insecure. I know that I just need you like I've never done before or have before. They're singing about dramatic changes in life. Independence seeming to vanish. Varying levels of insecurity and needing help in a way that they hadn't before. 2020, anybody? Anybody? 2020. Americans of every shape, color, and political preference felt this at some level, right? They and we, we all reached out for help somewhere. Certainly this is and was done to the government. A commentator, uh, Peter Hitchens, he's in Great Britain, he writes this. Modern politics is blasphemous. Because in many ways, people have placed on the shoulders of politicians and the government the cares and concerns that they used to put into the hands of God. Government, feed me. Clothe me always. Pay me, please. Government and politics are, on a large scale, a way that people look for help. It's maybe the biggest help camp on the hill because there's seeming power to protect me from the dangers. But our day-to-day lives are even more similar to the psalmist's journey. We live in the hills, right? There are incessant offers of other helpers. What offers do you hear and or accept instead of looking to the unfailing keeper? They're probably not offers to join the sun god religion or to hang out with the witch doctor who might give you some good luck. But there are offers of success or other people's help. The journey is bearable if I just look, feel, and sound successful, or at least if they say I am. Maybe it's the 
offer of hobbies just to distract from the danger in the hills. Video games, streaming services, puzzles, perhaps a perfectly kept yard, right? Those are distractions from the one shoe unfailing keeper. Maybe it's the offer of self-help. From where does my help come? Me. Only me. Self-help was an $11 billion industry in 2020, and it'll be a $13 billion industry in 2021. Maybe you're like me, and you take the offer that I'm so prone to in self-medicating. Coffee, sugar, 9 p.m. pizza, or a bowl of ice cream. Mm, Yes. Many of those things aren't bad in and of themselves, other than perhaps the self-help movement. But we are quick, you're so quick to take those offers and to put them in a place that is reserved only for the unfailing keeper. So how can we live instead like a kept people? We can take our cue from the psalmist in Psalm 121. I challenge you even in the coming week, each morning, to read and pray Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. When you wake up in the morning, look at the hills, look at the danger, consider the offers that are going to come today. Where does my help come from, Lord? It comes from the maker of the heavens and earth. We can pray it as the psalmist does. It comes from the unfailing keeper who undergirds all things personally. So God not only girds all things personally, but in our second point, we see that he is the unfailing keeper who is undistracted who is undistracted in his care of us. If we turn our attention to verse 3, we'll actually find, or rather uh, in reading, there is a discussion among commentators. If verse 3 is either stating a fact or it's making a request. Both could be true and both both are good. But in the Hebrew, one of the words that is used is normally one that's used to make a request. One that would be, may you do something. So if we reread verse 3, it would say, excuse me, may he not let your foot be moved. May he who keeps you not slumber. What makes this understanding somewhat more uh, a stronger one is that many think verse 4 is an introduction of a new singer's voice, responding to or answering the concerns of that of the sojourner in verse 3. Verse 4 reads what? Behold, The one who has always kept Israel, he will neither sleep nor slumber. Now, we don't know when this psalm was precisely written, but we can be certain that it was precisely applicable at many times, right? God kept Israel through slavery in Egypt. God kept Israel as he brought them to the promised land. God kept Israel through judgment for 70 years in exile and then bringing them back to his city in Jerusalem. And so the singer in verse 4 is assuring the first, because God keeps Israel, because he always has kept Israel, he will keep you as well. He will not fall asleep on you. Well, the singer in verse 4 continues in verse 5 and 6, the Lord is your keeper, giving you shade from the scorching sun. Sunstroke and dehydration were certainly a real threat for the sojourner or the worshipers in Pastor Chad's backyard last summer, as we experienced. But this singer also references the moon by night. This one maybe seems a bit odd at first, right? But consider the unknowns or the fear felt in the night of darkness. 
Now, they likely had in mind superstitions that would come with a full moon, which would cause someone to be moonstruck or to go, uh, to go crazy, to be a lunatic. And so whether we are superstitious or not, whether we agree with it or not, how many of us have had sleepless nights? How many of us have been up at 2 a.m. with crazy thoughts? How many of us have awoken from an unsettling dream, awake, um, angry or scared or suspicious of someone you love? We should notice here as well that this singer uses another merism. Neither the sun nor the moon nor anything in between shall strike us. God is an unfailing keeper day and night. Uh, a few weeks ago, my father, we, we celebrated my father's birthday, um, and my parents have this very long, unfenced backyard. And my girls, Zoe and Nora, were playing in the very back end with their cousin, having a blast, and I was picking up wiffle balls uh, that I had pitched to my son, Finn. And suddenly I heard a shout and a loud giggle at the same time. The shout was from Zoe, Dad, Nora's running away. The loud giggle was, Nora running away. She was off back behind, almost behind the house, behind uh, my parents' house. And so I took off running and shouting, Nora, no, Nora, no. And as I turned the corner of the house, there was Nora in the middle of the street with a car slowing down so as to not hit her. Praise God, she was fine. But I wasn't. (laughs) Am I a bad dad? Was I negligent? Do I not care for my children? Because in that moment, I wondered those things. But the truth was, my care was distracted simply with another child. Thus, here's the difference between, well, at least one, of the differences between me and God the Father, the unfailing keeper. God, when he gives care to one, it never means he sacrifices his care for you. He's never distracted. God is never lost in his thoughts. He's never scrolling his phone or watching the game. His care never waxes, wanes, or grows weary. His eyes are upon you. He sees you. He knows you. He's undistracted in his care of you. But if the unfailing keeper is undistracted, why do we not sing as the psalmist does? Why do we not ask God for care in all things? Well, perhaps we're already going somewhere else for help, as we talked about in verse 1. We're taking those other offers But it may be that we don't think God is all that interested in the mundane of our lives. Maybe we can bother him with terminal illnesses, with bankruptcies, with shattered marriages, or with divorced parents. But the mundane, the stubbed toes, the lost wallet or keys, my misunderstandings with my boss, my children's bad attitudes, my bad attitudes, that's that's way below God's pay grade. He's too overqualified. He's too busy caring for other things that are far more important than what I do on a Tuesday night at 8 p.m. or at a Thursday at 2 a.m. when when I'm left sleepless. We can treat God perhaps like he is a divorced parent who only has visitation rights on Sundays. Yeah, we'll see you at church, God. But the rest of the week, either you don't care or I don't. It may be even that we think God is simply so tired of our wandering wills and our half-hearted obedience that we're just too ashamed to ask for the help and the care. Friends, this is not so. He keeps his people always. He never lets their foot 
slip. He's an unfailing keeper, and he's always undistracted in his care of you. So we ask the question, how do we live daily as a kept people? Well, in the mundane, in the day-to-day, in the stubbed toes and lost keys and bad attitudes with mom and dad or with whatever chore you have to complete that day, you must bring them to God. He's never going to yell from the other room, yeah, just give me a minute. When we regularly come to him knowing, knowing that he keeps us even in the mundane, we're actually retraining our impulses so that our knee-jerk reaction in the big hills, the little hills, or whatever it might be, might to be immediately to turn to him, to remember he keeps you, and to keep coming to him. So God is our unfailing keeper as he personally undergirds all of life, as he is undistracted in his care for us. And finally, in our last point, we see that he unrelentingly keeps us forever. As we look at verses 7 and 8, we find again unequivocal, unrelenting language. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The word actually life here implies not only those external threats, but also the internal ones, right? Wild emotions, depression. Verse 8 goes on to say, the Lord takes care of us and are going out when we leave the front door and are coming home when we come back to the front door. His keeping of us is daily. Consider even the, uh, the time stamp that you see here. What is it? For, ever, more. It's not a superficial or short-lived promise. It is forevermore. God's keeping of us is like all the best hotels and cruises. It's all-inclusive. I personally tend to enjoy reading Dr. Seuss books. Uh, as silly as they are at times, they also have very profound examples for us. One such book is, Oh, the Places You'll Go. One section reads as this. Oh, the places you'll go. You'll be on your way up. You'll be seeing great sights. You'll join the high flyers who soar to high heights. You won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and you'll soon take the lead. Wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. Wherever you go, you will top all the rest. Except when you don't. Because sometimes you won't. I'm sorry to say, but sadly, it's true that bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. You can get all hung up in a prickly perch and your gang will fly on. You'll be left in a lurch. You'll come down from that lurch with an unpleasant bump. And the chances are then that you'll be in a slump. And when you're in a slump, you're not in for much fun. Unslumping yourself is not easily done. Dr. Seuss gives these 100% positive, encouraging maxims. You can and will do it, no question. And yet, bang-ups and hang-ups, lurches and slumps, they can and will happen to you. Perhaps some of you are asking this morning, why does Dr. Seuss get what Psalm 121 doesn't? Dr. Seuss knows that life is suffering. It's not always good. And it certainly doesn't seem like we're always being kept. Perhaps Psalm 121, you think, has missed your story. Which for you maybe means God isn't real. He's undistracted in his care for me. Or maybe he just doesn't care or keep me. 
Listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in the days before his crucifixion. This is in Luke 21, 16 to 18. He says this, You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. Do you hear the promise to the disciples, I will keep you? Even alongside this bad news, you're going to be hated, delivered over to death, even by your family. The promises of the singers in Psalm 121 that they're singing back and forth, they're not superficial promises. They're not saying you'll never face trouble, theft, rejection, death, disease, or the loss of a dear loved one. Rather, when we read Jesus' words in Luke 21, we see that the scriptures are well aware of what happens in this life. The rent is too high. Stomachs are too empty. Leaders are too wicked. Parents don't love enough. And children die young. And yet, and yet, not a hair on your head perish. Though you feel unkept by God, the full testimony of the scriptures is this. It tells us that there is a keeping that is done by God that nothing in this life can touch. There is a keeping done by God that nothing in this life can touch. We might be dismayed by this because we live in a Western world that says, make your kingdom one of pleasure, of plenty, and never facing hardship. But that's not the world we are in. It's not the world that Jesus was speaking into, right? It's not the world that Psalm 121 is being sung in. The story we are in, the world we are in, is one where a father would not spare his own son, but rather he would give him up for who? For his people. Why? Certainly for his glory, but it's so that you might be kept forever. Romans 8.18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Friends, we may not understand all that happens to us or to others or in this world, but this verse tells us that for those who trust in Jesus Christ, all of the suffering of your life, all of the suffering in the entire world, all of it, it will not compare with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Psalm 121 is not speaking superficial things, but rather it can be sung in full assuredness that it is true. In Christ Jesus, you are kept forever, and nothing in this life can threaten you. Not big things, not mundane things, and nothing in between. He is your unfailing keeper who unrelentingly keeps you in an always forever type way, even, even in great suffering whether it's been done to you or you've done it to others. So how do we live? How do we live as a kept people? It means that we have to hold in right tension the sufferings of the present time with the glory that is going to be revealed, the sufferings that are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed. We certainly do that only by the Holy Spirit's power, but we also do that when we acknowledge that the church, we, we are a collective of sojourners, just like the psalmist in Psalm 121. 
Friends, this isn't our home. We are going somewhere, or maybe more truly put, something is coming here, Jerusalem, God's city. It's coming here. And it will, the life that we live, it will not compare with the heavenly Jerusalem, or the sufferings, rather, will not compare with that. The true home, the one that we are being kept for in glory. The church is a group of kept sojourners together. We live as a kept people. How? When we are faithful to return here every Sunday to read and to sing of God's keeping of us, just as the singers of 121 were doing, right? They're heading up the mountain. We're heading up the mountain. The mountain's coming. We're singing to each other. We read, we sing, we pray in the face of suffering. We listen to God's word declared, and we engage in a feast, Lord's Supper, every week. And that is but a foreshadowing of the feast we're going to have. That's why we keep coming back to do this. Let me close our time with just a bit more of Dr. Seuss. He writes this later in the same book. All alone, whether you like it or not, alone will be something you'll be quite a lot. And when you're alone, there's a very good chance you'll meet things that scare you right out of your pants. There are some down the road between hither and yon that can scare you so much that you won't want to go on. But on you will go, though the weather be foul. On you will go, though your enemies prowl. On you will go, though the hacken cracks howl. Onward up many a frightening creek, though your arms may get sore and your sneakers may leak. On and on you will hike, and I know you'll hike far and face up to the problems, whatever they are. Dr. Seuss lays out the journey and its troubles, right? But he's also dead wrong. If we had a rewrite by our unfailing keeper, it would maybe say this. All alone is something you'll never be. Whether you like it or not, you'll be kept by me. Friends, because God undergirds all of life personally, we can live as a kept sojourner, praying each morning, Psalm 121, 1 through 2, declaring where our help comes from, because God is an undistracted person, an undistracted keeper in his care. We must practice bringing the mundane to him until we retrain our minds to do it as a knee-jerk reaction. And because God unrelentingly keeps us, a keeping that cannot be threatened by anything in this life, friends, we choose to be faithful to come back here every single Sunday morning, singing to each other, because we're not just singing to God. We're the psalmist. We're singing to each other. You will be kept by God forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is such good news that you are so unlike us. You are unfailing in your keeping. You hold us fast and stable when the world changes and spirals around us. You are undistracted in your care of us. And Lord God, we long to sing to you with the psalmist. The psalmist that says that you will keep us always. And we long to see the day when we, the church, the sojourners here, will see heaven come down and see that full keeping be realized before our eyes. It's in your name, Jesus, that we do pray. Amen.